right? Says that the anointing abides in you. So based on those scriptures, I'd say you have the anointing as a believer. So here's what we like to do. On the count of three, we want all of you to say together, I have the anointing. Are you ready? One, two, three. I have the anointing. Do it again. One, two, three. I have the anointing. Do it again. One, two, three. I have the anointing. Glory to God. Man, that, I'll tell you what. The more that gets in you, that you have the anointing, the more you're going to walk in it. See, we, it's not a case of you having it. You do have it. The question is you having a revelation of it. The fact is you already do have the anointing. You don't have to pray it up. You don't have to work it up. Amen. Aren't you glad? Amen. It abides in you. So if somebody sees you, you know, at the, who knows, you know, the, the Cracker Barrel or something, and they, you're waiting in line and they don't have enough help, so you've got to wait in line longer, and you just get talking to someone, and the person says, oh, man, my kidney is just hurting so bad. Yeah. That you don't have to pray up the anointing. You're a carrier of the anointing. You're an authorized distributor of the anointing. And that anoint that those rivers of living water can gush out of your belly. And you don't have to work it up. Jesus did the work for you to have the anointing. The Holy Spirit's a gift. You don't earn the Holy Spirit. You don't deserve the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit. And according to Acts 1.8, once you have already received the Holy Spirit, you have power. So many people are begging God for power. Oh God, more power, more love, more power, more of you in my life, whatever. I don't need more power. I need to do more with the power that I already have. See, people get stuff so mixed up, they think they've got to cry out for more. Oh, send the old-time power, the Pentecostal power. And all. He done sent the Pentecostal power 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. That's why it's called the Pentecostal power. It's been sent. Yeah. And you re if you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, now if you're not, we can take care of that this morning. Uh, because we can lay hands on, you can get baptized with the Holy Spirit. But if you're, if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have received power. And you don't get it in, in, on the installment plan either. He doesn't say, okay, well, receive my spirit, and today I'll give you 5% down payment. And then maybe next year if you say, oh, I want more of you, God, then he'll give you another 5% of himself and, and more power. And, and, and then you can have maybe later on 15% of his power. It doesn't work that way. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you get all of the power of God immediately. You have the third member of the Trinity in you, the Holy Spirit. You don't have to cry out and say, well, I, I just need more of the Holy Spirit. No, he needs more of you. But you have all there. You can't divide a person. Either you have him or you don't. And if you got him, you've got everything that goes with him. He's the third member of the Trinity. He's almighty. He can do everything. He knows everything. And, and folks, for those of you in business, he gives you an unfair advantage. Because he knows everything and the world doesn't. And he can show you things. I've actually built a business on that for 35 years. You know, just hearing from God about things and then doing things nobody else can do. And you know, if I can do that, you can. God doesn't do that for me because I'm a preacher. He does it because I'm a Christian. 
God can give you ideas in your business that could make you a pile of money. Ideas that no one else has ever had yet, and you get it. Thank God. God God hasn't lost the recipe for that. If he could anoint those guys in the Old Testament to do trades, he can anoint you. And you can expect that he'll take what you have and multiply it. You're going around with the one who knows everything on the inside of you 24-7. So if you want to know what to do, he always knows what to do. Ask him. Praise God. And he knows, what, he knows how to minister to sick people, too. Now, in case you're wondering, Rosie and I do not bring a program with us saying, here is our script. Use this script to heal the sick. Now, a lot of people would like that, I think. You know, if you just broke... Oh, yes, this is the universal pattern of healing the sick. Just do this every time, and all sick people will get healed. I can prove to you from Scripture that one-size-fits-all scripts do not work. Well, how can you prove that from Scripture? Because in Jude, you know, not, not one of the books people read the most necessarily, but in Jude, Jude says, uh, in, I believe it's verses 23 and 24, says, on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others sit, basically pull them out of the fire, hating even the garment that's stained with sin. In other words, what Jude is saying is you can't treat everyone equally. You cannot minister to everyone equally. There are some people who need to be ministered to one way, and there's another class that needs to be ministered to a different way. So if I just give you one script, it won't fit all. Let me tell you our program for getting someone healed. It's, it's not a program. It's a person, the Holy Spirit. Follow him. He knows what every individual needs when you don't. And if you will follow him, praise God, he knows what that individual needs. He, and if you'll listen to him, he'll flow through you and meet that person at the point of their need in a way they can receive, which might not be the way the next person can receive. Thank God. You think, well, I, I just need more wisdom to minister to the sick. I'm so glad that 1 Corinthians 1.30 says that Christ has been made unto you wisdom. If you need wisdom, he's been made wisdom unto you. Thank God. And you can do it. Now, we'll start out today with, with, we'll start going in some new directions here. But it's all about you ministering to the sick, directly or indirectly, and it'll all tie together. I wanted to start talking to you this morning about why God heals sick people. Now, I think you know it, but it doesn't hurt to hear it again. God does not heal you because you're good. He heals you because he's good. He does not heal you because you served in the church nursery or you served in the kitchen or you served in church. And those are all good things to do. Or you're on the worship team. Those are all good things, but God does not heal you as a reward for your good faithful works. He already provided healing for you before you had even lifted a finger to do anything for God. The only finger I used to lift to God was basically my middle one. I used to be a flaming atheist. I used to curse God. I used to take every dirty word I could find, yell it at the ceiling, and, and, and tell God he was that. My college roommates begged me to stop doing it. They said, please don't. I said, what's the matter? You believe in God or something? And they said, well, not really, but in case there is one, we don't want to be around you when you're doing that. I said, that's proof there is no God. Because if there were a God, he'd do something about me. You know what? He did something about me, all right. 
Here's what He did to me. He forgave me for every curse I hurled at heaven, every sin I'd ever committed, and He laid it all on His Son Jesus, and He was punished for all that stuff I was doing, and now it's as if I'd never done any of it. I'm a new person in Christ. I'm not even that cursor person anymore. That guy died in 1979. And now I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm not the guy who did that. I've been created in God's image in righteousness and true holiness. Ephesians 4.24. So I don't do that stuff anymore. The world is a better place. I, mean, I used to write songs before I got saved, but they weren't as edifying. They had names like Mama Would Die If She Ever Knew, but it's worth it to get it on with you. That was one of my more popular ones. So... I, I, and I say, say, the world is a better place because I gave my life to Jesus. Say, <laughs> so who is this nut who's up there? Well, I'm not that guy. That guy died in 1979. And there's a new man inhabiting my body who, who never did crummy stuff at all. Totally forgiven. See, I, I used to say, God, you, you would do something about me if you existed. He did something about me, all right. He forgave me for everything when he sent his son. Yeah. That's what he did about me. Thank God, you know, Romans 2, 4 says the goodness of God leads men to repentance. Yeah. You know, when people see his goodness, they'll want to serve him. Yeah. If you go around bashing people on the head, they probably won't want to serve God. Because they'll think he's like you. <laughs> And actually, truth be told, there's people who don't want to serve God because either their mom or their dad or, gasp, their pastor, you know, treated them in a way that they didn't like, and then they project that onto God. We had someone in our church who had a um, dysfunctional family, and he said, I don't, I don't want to hear about my heavenly father. I had one of those fathers. And, and to him, God was like his father. But see, God isn't like your father. Maybe you had a good one. You're blessed if you do. But maybe you didn't. But God is a loving heavenly father. He's better than any earthly dad. And he loves you. He's for you. He's not against you. And he's for you laying hands on the sick in his name and seeing them recover. And, and, if, and if things, if you don't see something immediate, he's not going to be looking cross-eyed at you going, what's wrong with you? How come you're not believing? He's going to encourage you. Go out there and do it some more. Amen. I used to tell her, we pastored in Maine for 16 years, and we used to, I used to say, I want a congregation full of people who miss God. Amen. Gosh, God. What, what do you mean by that? I'd rather have people try to do something and maybe miss it than succeed in doing nothing. Yes. You're useless if you're the world's leading authority on doing nothing. It's like people used to complain about my evangelism techniques when I'd go and do street ministry in Maine. I'd take Led Zeppelin songs and put Christian words to them because the kids had Led Zeppelin shirts on. And, and, but God knew, how, see, the Holy Spirit will give you ideas to minister to specific people. And he gave me a way to reach the Led Zeppelin kids. He said, hey, let's praise the Lord again. They weren't even saying, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord Jesus, you are King of kings. You are Lord of lords. You rule everything. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. 
You don't have to go to hell, no, no. You don't have to. Well, why, why did you know, Jesus has a whole lot of love? You know, he is the stairway to heaven. Well, anyway, so 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 I tell them that, and they would listen to me. I, I sometimes I'd have more kids in the park listening to me than I had on Sunday morning in my own church. Now, some of the people got mad, though. How dare you? That's not of God. That's of the devil. I said, what? Reaching lost people is of the devil? No, but singing Led Zeppelin songs to them is of the devil. So I'm not singing their words. They're like, yeah, but you're using their music. I said, well, you know, that's what Charles Wesley did. A lot of your hymns in the Sacred Hymns of the Faith hymn book at First Denominational are bar tunes that Charles Wesley put Christian words to because he figured everyone knew the tunes so he didn't have to teach them the tunes. And if you think, and Charles Wesley didn't invent that, the, in the Psalms you see sung to the tune of lilies, sung to the tune of lonesome dove in the wilderness. So God's not against that. But, but some of the Christians didn't like that. Because, now it worked. We averted suicides. People got saved. Uh, and, and yet, you know, we had a dear lady in our church. That's of the devil. I said, well, what are you doing to reach them? We got the highest suicide rate in the state around here among teenagers. What are you doing about it? Well, I'm praying for revival. Sometimes I pray all day for revival. I said, yeah, and while you're praying for revival, they're going to hell. And then I, I borrowed a phrase from Dwight L. Moody. I said, I like the way I do evangelism better than the way you don't do evangelism. <laughs> But God knew how to reach them. It was unusual. It kind of weirded out some of the Christians. Like, you can't do that. Well, I did. And they listened. But see, God had a way to reach them. God has a way to reach everybody. I didn't think... There's practically no one could have reached me because I used to say, all religion is cultural. You're only a Christian because you're in the United States and everyone's a Christian. But if you were in darkest Africa and you were in one of those tribes that bangs the tribal bongo drums and dances around with hardly any clothes on, then you'd be an animist too. And since they didn't know anybody from darkest Africa, from the bush where they danced around with hardly any clothes on, you know, you know, what were they supposed to say? And I just wouldn't listen to anyone until one day I was at Michigan State University majoring in TV broadcasting. And my sophomore year, this guy who was black as midnight sat down at a table next to me. And I was kind of a snide person. I guess you're not from around here. I said, no, I'm from Kenya. I said, Kenya? I said, oh, you're from Nairobi? I want to impress him. I know where Nairobi is. Are you from Nairobi or from the bush? He said, the bush. Uh-oh. I said, are you like from one of those tribes where they beat the tribal bongo drums and dance around with hardly any clothes on? He says, we used to do that, but then a missionary came and told us about Jesus Christ. And we all gave our lives to him, and we serve him now. And I'm, I have such favor now, I'm attending this university free of charge, all the way from the bush in Kenya. He ruined my whole proof there was no God deal. I had to listen to him. But see, God knows who to send. You know, if you know someone who's lost, you can pray for God to send laborers into the harvest for that person. A lot of times, if it's a family member, they won't listen to you. But you can pray that God will send other people they will listen to. We had a guy, he's now a billionaire in Australia. Um, we know him, he stayed with us. And he, he used to be like me. And he, and he said, he had all this money. I don't need anything. I've got all this money. I'm, you know, Mr. Because I won't even listen to anyone unless they're higher than me. And not many people had much more money than he did, so he didn't listen to anybody. One day, he was at a hotel in, in uh, Australia, and Alan Shepard, the astronaut, walked into the lobby. 
And, and, and he says, oh, you're, you walked on the moon. He says, yeah, I did. He says, that must have been the thrill of your life. He says, well, that's the second best thing that happened in my life. He's like, what? Walking on the moon was not the first best thing that happened to you? He says, no, the first best thing was when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And then he got a little reminder. He said he'd only listen to someone higher than him, and the moon is like you know, 250,000 miles higher than him. And he got saved. God knew who to send to that guy. He knew who to send to me. God's got people that will, he can send to people you know. Pray that he'll send laborers into his harvest. He will do it. Hallelujah. You know, God is, he knows how to reach people. He's got a tailor-made way to reach everybody. If you'll cooperate with him. So, and you, you can do it. You have the goods to cooperate with him. But, you know, remember, he heals you because he's good. You don't deserve healing. You don't earn healing. You receive healing. Jesus didn't say, whatever it is when you pray, bug God for it till he does it. He didn't say, whatever it is when you pray, ask him, Lord, do it, if it be thy will. Whatever it is when you pray, believe you receive. That Greek word lambano actually means to take. Take it when you pray. Healing is already there for the taking. When you go to God to receive healing, you're not talking him into healing you. You're just taking what he's already got because Jesus provided it for you already. It's a done deal. It's already provided. You're simply acting on the word and taking healing that is already out there. Faith is not the assurance of things that don't exist. Faith is the assurance of things that do exist, but they're not seen. Healing exists for everyone in the world. They can take it, but you can't see it with your natural eyes. But that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It does exist. You just can't see it with your five senses. But when you take it, it's there for the taking. You can receive it, and it's yours. And the same deal when you're ministering healing to someone else, you can train them the same way. Just take it. Jesus has already paid the price for you to have that healing. And we're not going to get together and try to talk God into healing you. That's what a lot of people do. Yeah. Uh, maybe, if, maybe if we could get 10 churches together and get everybody praying at once, maybe then we could move God into healing the person. You know, God doesn't need to be moved. He's quite fine the way he is. You're the one who needs to move. You don't need to change God's mind. He wants to renew your mind. His mind, is he's perfectly loving. You can't improve on that. He already wants to heal everybody. He loves everybody. He's paid for everybody's healing. You never try to talk God into healing you. He's already talked into it. He's trying to talk you into believing what Jesus Christ has already done for you. Now, one thing I like to share with our healing class, and we'll do it today, is the, the sick person's greatest need. If you go by conduct within the church, you would conclude that the sick person's greatest need is prayer. Quick, call the hotline. Call the intercession line. Get everybody praying. Quick, quick, quick. Get them all praying. But the sick person's greatest need is not prayer. The sick person's greatest need is the word of God. Because if you don't give them some word to believe, they have nothing to latch on to. Otherwise, they're still in if it be thy will land. They need the word. Now, let me give you an analogy so this will become clear to you. What is the sinner's greatest need? You can pray for revival all day, pray for sinners all day, and they'll be going to hell while you're praying. What is the sinner's greatest need? It's the word. 
They need to hear the word of God so they can believe it and act on it. And you are an ambassador for Christ. You can minister that word to people so that they can believe it and act on it. You, you know, we don't just go around slapping hands on people. Now, we've got all kinds of cool testimonies. We've seen, you know, we lay hands on people wherever we can. You know, the Cracker Barrel and the Lowe's parking lot and the Food Lion parking lot and Bass Pro Shops and Applebee's and, and whatever. But, you know, we don't just say, hey, can I lay hands on you? you know, we also give them the word. We tell them what Jesus has done before we lay hands on them so they can cooperate. Otherwise, they're going to get it all on your faith. But that, that's not the way God wants to do it. He wants it to be according to their faith. You know, Jesus never once told anyone, according to my faith, be it done unto you. But he did say, according to your faith, be it done unto you. So you want to build people's faith. How are you going to do that? You do it with the word. Now... Here's something the devil loves to play when you start getting interested in laying hands on the sick. He loves to give his worn out line that he shops around to everybody that says, you don't have enough faith. Do you ever hear that? You ever have that thought come into your mind? You see a situation, oh, that looks pretty bad. You don't have enough faith to deal with that. And that's what the devil wants you to believe. Well, here's what God wants you to believe. Romans 12, verse 3, says that God has given to every man the measure of faith. That means everyone has faith. Now, I've heard it taught that when you get saved, God gives you the measure of faith, but that can't be true. Because then there would be another book in the Bible we'd add to the Reader's Digest Lost Books of the Bible that should stay lost. And this would be the book of Ketch, chapter 22. And it would say, for verily, you cannot, get saved, you cannot get faith until you get saved. But you cannot get saved without faith. So since you cannot get faith without being saved, and you cannot get saved without faith, therefore no one can ever get saved. Too bad to be you. <laughs> no, God's given to everyone the measure. You know, not one of those people who received healing in the four Gospels was born again. Would God heal an unbeliever? Of course he'd heal an unbeliever because he's paid for everyone's healing. That's part of the signs and wonders we do as Christians that we can demonstrate his love, demonstrate what Jesus has already done, take healing to them. Well, do we have to lead them to the Lord first? No, you don't have to. Sometimes if you'll lay hands on them and they get healed, then they'll want to become Christians. We did a lot of work in an Indian reservation up in Maine. We were the only preachers they allowed up there. It's a long story. One of the people in the tribe got healed of an incurable disease that was killing him. And then more people came and got healed and they invited us onto the res. And, and before long, you know, as I said last night, we have, kind of have a get away with it anointing. And we get to do things like you know, that you know, prayer meeting and church service in a, in a uh, Golden Corral restaurant with all the customers there. And they let us do it. Well, we, went to, we ended up, they had a powwow. We were on the program at the powwow. We were only the non-natives on the powwow program. It said, Healing Ceremony with Stephen Rosie Young. <laughs> well, we did. We had a healing ceremony. Well, what do you do at a healing ceremony at a powwow? Well, I'd never been one before either, but I guess what you do is what we did. You preach like we're doing right here, that Jesus has provided healing for everyone, and anyone who wants to can receive it. And people got healed left and right on that reservation. And you know what? They weren't saved first. Some of them got saved, 
But they first they saw the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, and then they got saved. And you can do the same thing. They don't have to become Christians first. You can lay hands on them in the name of Jesus, and then when they see the miracle-working power of God and how real Jesus is and how much he loves people that he'd be willing to do that, they'll probably want to become Christians. That's better than trying to argue them into the kingdom. The power of God settles arguments pretty quickly. Hallelujah. But you do have faith because Romans 12, 3 says that you do. Everyone has the measure of faith and that includes you. Now, the que- now here's an interesting question. I, when I read the Bible and I see things like this, I ask the Holy Spirit and he gives me answers. And here's one thing I saw to wait a minute. Do I have the measure of faith? Do I have faith already? Or does faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God, which he said in Romans 10, 17, only two chapters away? Hmm, that's an interesting question, isn't it? We're going to answer that. But, uh, but, well, do I have the measure of faith or does faith come by hearing the word? Well, obviously, both have to be true because they're both Bible verses. Here's how it works. Uh, Everyone has faith, just like in these wall sockets, there is power provided to you courtesy of Alabama Power. The potential is there. You could plug a synthesizer in there, a microphone th- you know, hookup. You, you could do all kinds of things. You could put a blender in there if you wanted to. And, and whatever it is, the power is there to do it. But until you put something specific in it, nothing happens. Well, how do you know what to put in it? Well, someone tells you, you can put that blender in... And it'll work, so you put the blender in and it works. Now that's something specific. What, what God is saying in Romans 12, 3, we all have the generic capacity to believe. We all have faith, we all can believe. But the problem is, even though they have the capacity to believe, they're still on their way to hell if they haven't received Jesus yet. But, and if they don't know about Jesus, they can't exercise their faith to receive him. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now they know what to do with their faith. When you hear, they hear something specific from the word, now they've got faith to act on that. They can have, take the faith that they already have and use it to get saved. And then when you tell them that they can be, they're healed by the stripes of Jesus, they can believe they receive when they pray, they can now use that faith they have specifically for that. But they don't know to do that until the word of God comes. And then faith for that particular blessing can become active. And you have faith. Don't ever let the devil lie to you. Well, you don't know. See, if you had faith, you could do something about that condition, but you don't have enough faith. Oh, he loves that one. Because so many people fall for it. And they shy away. Well, I can't do that. Oh, that's right. I don't have enough faith. I, I, I haven't checked my faithometer lately, but I guess my faithometer isn't up where it should be. And maybe if I just read the word for 10 days straight and, and, and lived in a monastery or something and, and prayed in tongues eight hours a day or something, then maybe my faithometer would rise to a, a level where I could do that. And maybe if I just pray really hard before I go to the supermarket, then I'll have the faith to do it. See, as I said last night, your opportunities to minister to the sick are going to come out of the blue most of the time. You won't be ready for them probably a minute before they happen. It's just going to be, there it is, there's somebody, and they're complaining about how their arthritis is killing them. I hate that when they say that. But they don't know any better. But see, you do know better, but you also know something can be done about what they think is their, it's really the devil's arthritis, but but how the devil's arthritis is killing them. Well, 
you know that you could do something about it because you have authority in the name of Jesus. You have the anointing. Amen. And you could do something about it. But the devil doesn't want you to think you can. Well, you don't have enough faith. You need more faith. You need to ask God for more faith. You know, that's been tried. Luke 17, verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. What did Jesus do? Oh, yeah, boys, I see you don't have enough faith. Here, here's another installment of faith for you. No, that's not what he did. Instead, he told them what would happen if they had just a little faith and they used it. You don't need big whopping faith to do a big whopping miracle. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you could speak to a mountain and tell it to be moved into the sea and it would obey you. He didn't say if you have big whopping faith, you can do it. He said if you have just a little faith, if you use it, if you hook your mouth up with it. You don't need to get introspective. Do I have enough faith? Do I have enough faith? The devil's like, no, you don't. Mm, do I have enough faith? No, you don't have enough faith. Now, uh, don't get like that. Here, here's something that you might not have considered. Because you see the works that Jesus did. And, and like I was saying last night, so many people fall into the, yeah, but that was Jesus trap. Well, yeah, he did that, but that was Jesus. Well, Jesus just had huge faith. So, of course, he could do all those things. Because he just walked around, you know, God must have given him mungo faith. And here I am being a ye of little faith. But you know that's not true. I can prove that to you. Again, we talked about this last night. Romans 2, um, excuse me, Philippians 2, 7 says that Jesus emptied himself of all his divine privileges. He had to walk as a true man. He was still divine, but he had to walk under all, not just some of them, all the same rules that apply to you. And it says God has given to every man the measure of faith you have the same measure of faith Jesus had. Otherwise, God cheated and Jesus cheated. If God gave Jesus a special extra dose of faith that he didn't give you, he didn't really walk as a man in your shoes. Isn't that interesting to think about? Yeah, I'm talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, you know, I have the same number of, of muscles that Arnold Schwarzenegger does in my body. <laughs> but you know what? I can't do what Arnold can. Never have been able to do what Arnold did. Should I, should I get mad at God and yell at him? Hey, God, how come you didn't give me muscles like Arnold Schwarzenegger? No. Well, that'd be kind of silly, wouldn't it? Well, I have muscles. He had muscles. He did something with his muscles that I didn't do with mine. That was his choice and my choice. I could have gone to the gym and pumped iron and been more like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I didn't. But that was me. I was given the same basic setup that Arnold had, but it was up to me what I did with it. You and Jesus, Jesus had that same basic level of faith, that measure of faith when he walked the earth that you have. And people say, no, but he was God, but he was God. He had infinite faith. No, he, if, he were, if he walked the earth as God and did everything as God, he would have had infinite wisdom too. But you know what? It says in Luke 2.52 that the child grew in wisdom and in stature. How can an all-wise God grow in wisdom? But it says Jesus grew in wisdom. Because again, that's the Philippians 2.7 thing again. He parked all of that. And lived a life in your shoes as a person. He was as much a man as you are. Amen. 
You see that? He had to grow and he had to read the word. It, he, he became strong in spirit in Luke 2.40. How can an all-powerful God become strong in spirit? Because he had to walk as a man and become strong in spirit. But you know what? If he could become strong in spirit, so can you. I'll tell you, some of these things, you know, people just never thought of them before. But they should, because if you'll think about these things, you'll realize you can do the works of Jesus. You really are equipped. You really do have the goods. You really do have the anointing to do what he did. And he was not in a special category that he could do it and you can't. And if you don't believe it, go read um, John 14, 12 again. You know, verily, verily, I say unto you, the works that he who believes in me, the works that I do, he shall do also, and greater works because I go to the Father. Jesus didn't say, I am in a special category. Only I can do this. In fact, he said the very opposite. If you are a believer in him, you can do the works that he did. And we need to expand our thinking when it comes to doing the works of Jesus. You know, in a typical healing class, we teach you to be the woman with the issue of blood. And, say, and you hear about Jesus, the anointed one. Now, the word Christ means anointed. Okay, So anytime you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus, the anointed one. Christ isn't his last name. He's not in a database, Christ, Jesus, somewhere. That's, that's his title. It's not his name. Okay, his name's Jesus. But, but he's Jesus Christ, Jesus, the anointed one. And this woman with the issue of blood apparently believed he was the anointed one. Well, if he's the anointed one, I can just touch his clothes and get the anointing. So she did, and in most healing classes, we teach people to be that woman with the issue of blood. I want to start teaching people, how do you be the one wearing the garment? He didn't say, if you believe in me, you'll do the works of the woman with the issue of blood. He said, if you believe in me, you'll do the works I did. You know, sometimes you think, well, wouldn't it be nice to, to walk on the water like Peter did? Well, he didn't say you'd do the works of Peter. Now, Peter did walk on the water, but then his faith petered out. So, so then Jesus came and, and, and he raised Peter up out of the water and took him back to the boat. Who do you want to be? Do you want to do the works of Peter where you start out good and then glug, glug, glug? Or do you want to do the works of Jesus where you're walking in the water and you don't go glug, glug, glug and you see someone who is going glug, glug, glug and you pick him up too and walk on the water with him back to the boat. That's the works of Jesus. You know, when you read the Gospels, you can read them with new glasses, so to speak, where you see... Jesus doing these miracles, and you start seeing yourself doing what he did. I'd encourage you to do that. If you've never read through the Gospels and really thought, he's doing that, I should see myself doing that, you should start doing that. Instead of just, I'm going to do like the woman with the issue of blood, or like the people who received from him, we're not here to teach you how, how to receive from him, although that's part of the message, I suppose. But we want to teach you to be the one people are receiving from. And you can. Your destiny, as I shared last night, Romans 8.29 is clear, that your destiny is to be in the image of Him. Amen. That He might be the firstborn of many brethren. He's the start, but you're the, you're the copy. He's the original, but you look like Him. Amen. You're doing what He did. Amen. You're walking the earth, and He walked in power, you walk in power. He healed the sick, you heal the sick. Is it really possible? Yes. You actually can do the works of Jesus because he said you would. And you do have the faith to do it. And again, I, I, I've been sharing this a lot because even in faith circles, sometimes 
You know, it's almost like people will beat you up for your lack of faith or give you this idea that, well, you've just got to crank out the faith. You, anyone ever been in that type of situation? You crank it out. It's about you again. And suddenly it becomes about works instead of grace. It's not about Jesus and his grace. It becomes how much do you crank out the faith? How much do you become the faith factory? I have some good news for you. You're not a faith factory. You do not have to generate faith. Faith is a gift. You received it from him. You don't crank it up. You just use it. But, but sometimes we've gotten in this thing thinking, well, if I don't crank up my faith to have mega faith built up, I can never do anything. But that's not true. You don't have to crank it up. You know, faith doesn't come from you anyway. Jesus is the author and finisher of your faith. Amen. It comes from him. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, since uh, James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights with whom there's no variableness or shadow of turning. Faith is a gift from God. Now, if God gives good and perfect gifts, as James said, what kind of faith do you suppose he gave you? Did he give you defecto faith that doesn't really work? Or did he give you faith that really does work and can get the job done? Every good and perfect gift comes from him and faith is a gift from God. I don't know if you've ever seen this in, in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 where it says that for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. And usually we've read that traditionally to say, well, that means salvation's not of yourself. But if you really look at it, I think you can look at it this way. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift. It, faith, is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In other words, you can't say, I cranked up enough faith to receive Jesus. The glory isn't to you. Then you could glorify yourself. Look what I did. I built up my faith and did this, that. No, no. He gets the credit. He gets the glory because he's the one who did it. Your faith that you have is not something you manufactured. Jesus is the author and the finisher of your faith. And Now, if he could author it, don't you think he can finish it? Don't you think Jesus could work in you and build your faith to where it needs to be? So, so that when you see things going on, that you're able to respond to the situation in faith? He's, don't forget, he's not just the author, he's the finisher of your faith. You're not the finisher of your faith. Jesus is. Don't put the pressure on you to be the finisher of your faith when Jesus is the finisher of your faith. Otherwise, you end up in bondage again to works, thinking, I've got to do this work and that work to crank up the faith. No, you don't have to crank it up. You have it. All you have to do is use it. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You have, you have no right to say, look at my great faith. My faith did this, my faith did that. Well, you got it all from him. It was a gift. So you might as well give him the credit and the glory because he deserved it. Amen.